Hi everyone, before we start this week's episode, um, I just need to address something that's going on in the real world at the moment uh, that's going to impact uh, both this podcast and a variety of podcasts uh, that are still putting out new content at the moment. Uh, at the moment, the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are on strike uh, because of pay and conditions. And part of that strike is actually not promoting any work publicly that is struck. Um, so that includes movies and TV shows. Uh, and as you may know, at the end of uh, these podcast episodes, we have a bit of a plug section where uh, the guest and I have a chance to talk about what we've been uh, watching, listening to, reading, uh, or, or engaging with, and something that we really, really want to people to also engage with. Uh, and uh, you may have noticed over the past couple of weeks, um, some other podcasts on the Deus Ex Media Network have put out statements, uh, and this week is my turn, uh, because this week uh, my lovely, lovely guest did plug uh, a TV show, uh, and unfortunately I've had to cut it out of the episode to keep within the guidelines of the strike. While I was on holidays, we got some clarification around what podcasters should and shouldn't be doing in regards to the strike, and that includes not promoting any struck work. Um I take this very seriously. I'm a member of the Australian Equivalent Union, the MEAA, uh, and uh, I really do not want to be crossing a picket line. Um, I'm very much for increased wages and increased job security and safety. So in standing with solidarity um, today, you won't hear any plugs. I've cut out that plug section when I, I edited this week's episode. And uh, for the duration of the strike, we won't be having plugs for TV shows or movies. Um, they might be mentioned in passing. I will make it very clear if they're being mentioned in passing, it's because they're uh, essential to a story or a conversation we're having. Uh, we're not plugging them. We're not endorsing uh, people uh, go and uh, promote struck work. It, uh, culturally, we talk a lot about TVs and, uh, and uh, movies, and we really do need to acknowledge the fact that there are people on strike because they are not being paid enough and they're not being looked after. Uh, hopefully, when the strike is over, we'll be able to uh, chat all things uh, TV and movies. Uh, I know that I had promised an episode uh, about... Uh, a significant movie that had come out in the last few months. Uh, that episode is ready to be recorded. Uh, we are not recording it until after the strike, A, to keep in with the guidelines of the strike, and B, um, so that everyone can get a chance to really engage with the content uh, and we, we can all uh, discuss the content properly together. Keep in mind as well that uh, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, as of the time of recording, uh, have not... Um, Ask for a boycott of any streaming platforms or any uh, cinemas. Still go and watch your favorite movies and TV shows. Unfortunately, you're, the people who create content, podcasters, social media influencers, should not uh, and most likely will not be uh, plugging that content um, or uh, advertising it in any way. Uh, if you um, have more questions, go and check out the WGA and SAG-AFTRA's websites. Uh, it's a really important resource and understanding uh, where you stand if you are a fellow content creator or uh, someone who's just interested in uh, the way that we should be behaving around a strike. Um, I come from Australia. Uh, Labor and unionism is uh, very essential to our culture as a country here. Uh, and so um, in our effort to stay uh, in solidarity with the WJ and, and SAG-AFTRA, we just won't be plugging uh, TV shows and movies or any other work that people consider struck. If you've got any more questions, feel free to reach out um, to me on social media. My DMs are always open. 
And I would love to discuss it with you further if you have any questions or clarifications. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to covering that stuff, but at this point in time, we have to um, stand in solidarity and really show the studios uh, what the writers and actors uh, mean when they say the world is behind them. Uh, on to this week's episode. A podcast to honour the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Contend Capable acknowledges the Indigenous people on the land on which we record this podcast, the Turongarong people. We offer our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Content and Capable, where at the first sign of positivity, I need to do absolutely everything all at once. My name's Sam, I'm your host, and joining me today is Erin. Hi, Erin. Hello, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's. I'm really excited. Um, you're, uh, and to give a bit of a peek behind the curtain, you're one of the first guests that have reached out to me oh. instead of me reaching out back. I don't know how to feel to, about that. You know, other people. <laughs> I think it's a great thing. I think it's a very positive sign for me personally. I'm I like, think so well, too. Well, my podcast must be well known enough. Yeah. Um, You're making the rounds on social yeah. media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, the shenanigans are getting uh, getting around. Um, admittedly, not far from home because um, uh, you're also the host of Camp Halfpod. I am. Yes, it seems like uh, there's a there's a secret uh, bond between your podcast and all of the Percy Jackson podcasters. <laughs> I do have a deep love for the Percy Jackson series, as you should. Um, and look, I don't want to add or compete with anyone um, trying to make Percy Jackson content because. You know, you're all doing it in your own way, and I don't think I could find something original to do mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. in that grand scheme of things. Well, so here am I, here I am, just using my platform as an excuse to chat to Percy Jackson people, pretty much for half the season, I reckon. At that this sounds point. like a great um, way to do it. Oh yeah, and the vibes the people Percy Jackson fans give, I like top notch all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. A little chaotic, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And like the perfect friendship group, because, you know, everyone embodies like a different element of, you know, Camp Half-Blood differently. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you know, right, perfectly on point all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk <laughs> about. Um, we're here to talk about um, writing and your relationship with writing. Um, yes. That old thing. Erin, did, yeah, did you want to um, explain the you, the journey that your relationship with writing has been on? Yeah, I can give like a, an overview, I guess. I feel like I have written since I was like a very young child. I used to write fun stories, bad stories a lot of the time. Um, I 
that wrote throughout high school. I wrote in college, and in college was when I probably started to take it a little more seriously. I had some friends read um, one of my manuscripts that I finished, and they helped encourage me to start actually looking into publishing and everything. And then I did end up publishing a book in 2020, which was a fun year to have a book launch, but it happened, which was really cool. Look. Yeah, there's not a lot you can do about 2020 at this point in time. I know. I know. Yeah, I wrote this, I my book called Laurel Everywhere, I wrote the manuscript probably in 20, 2018. And then I signed the contract with the publisher in 2019. And then it was published 2020. So it's a very long process. Um, and then after publishing that, so I published that in 2020. And I have not published a book since then. I've gotten some essays out there, but I really had to um, work on my relationship with writing since then, because I feel like so much of the industry with publishing is always about like pumping out as many novels as you can as fast as you can and selling yourself and constantly selling your book, which is therefore like turning yourself almost into a product because a lot of people put so much of themselves into books. And uh, that really messed with my brain and my relationship with writing for a good while. Also, the pandemic, that didn't help. But yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, I don't think the pandemic helped anyone. But it is fascinating. And I think that it's probably a a universal kind of, not understanding, a universal experience where, you know, something that you create that you're trying to make money out Mm -hmm. of, you know, turn into a living of... uh, and you're trying to sell, you end up trying to sell yourself to people, Mm -hmm. which is very dangerous. Like, let's be honest, you lose a part of your self-identity because, you know, you are, you're you're selling yourself rather than, and a version of yourself that, you know, works for publishers or, you know, in any other arts industry that works for those people, but also in like on social media Mm -hmm. or even, you know, trying to find a job, you're selling yourself. And that, that's like, that's, that's a really hard process and often very dangerous process if you're not careful. For sure. And a lot of publishers now, like, or agents ask that their authors are like, have a TikTok presence or have a YouTube presence or an Instagram presence, um, which is a lot. It's very different than how writing the ideal of writing I had as a child was of like, you just write things and send them out and it magically goes into the world. And now it's so much more about like the image of the author as well, which is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's, uh, it is kind of really disappointing to an extent when I do see people who are, like a hundred and ten percent selling themselves mm-hmm. on like online. And I look at it and I go, and especially from myself from a journalism and public relations and media relations standpoint, mm-hmm. and I look at the way that that has been framed and I'm like, there is no like a lot of the time you lose that genuine connection when you are selling an aspect of yourself that you don't fully aligned with, but you know, is going to work well, you know, marketing wise or something like that. Um, and nowadays, especially post pandemic, we're looking for genuine connections and genuine mm-hmm. people. And that's 
so incredibly hard to sell yourself as a genuine person while also maintaining, you know, being genuine as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah, there's so many layers to the publishing industry and so much comparison and everything. And it's also like in a lot Mm. of the times, um, you see authors who, you know, publish a book and then end up pumping out a lot of books in the same genre. And it's like, people, people aren't static like that. Most authors, I'm sure, do not want to only write romance or only write young adult. Um, People are much more complex than that. But uh, capitalism would like to sell us as products instead. Super fun. We love capitalism. Yeah, big fan. Um, It is... It is a fun thing, and like you said, young adult fiction as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and just consistently running the same thing, it's a fascinating concept because if we have like just to bring it back to Percy Jackson again, oh, yeah. you have a look at Rick Riordan's work. You look at his early work, which is very classically, you know, young adult mm-hmm. fiction. And admittedly, I'm a few books behind, <gasps> slash maybe a series and a half behind. <laughs> um, I yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about that too much. Yeah. But um, I um, you look at towards you know those later series and they do become more adult. Like they evolve yeah. with the character and Rick's writing as well uh, as he becomes not a not a more mature writer, but like a more you know more mature within the the world that he's created. Mm-hmm. Like his characters are becoming is, more mature, and so he's writing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think he, he you know, uh, and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of Rick because, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not him. But, you know, y- you would, you know, the most time you spend writing in that world, the more you know with the limits of that world and how they interact mm. and how different elements should work and shouldn't work uh, to make, right, you know, more interesting and layered stories, you know. You know right where that limit is. So you're going to write all the way up to that limit, whereas... And I think that, you know, as much as that, you know, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, that first series is so good. Mm -hmm. There are points where it's like, you probably could have done more. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's always like, you know, and I think that that's a a sign of growth. And it's a great thing because we know that there's more to come. And then we now know that there's many more series. Mm -hmm. So we get to watch, you know, more happen and more be explored. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, just nerding out about Percy Always. Jackson for a hot second. That's what I second. spend my whole like, podcast doing. That or making, like, the uh, most absurd claims about theories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If if the more absurd the claim, the better it is, in my opinion. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, your relationship with writing mm-hmm. kind of was on the rocks. Did you ever stop writing? Like, completely stop writing? I don't know. I... Felt like I did, but when I look back, I was still writing in some capacity. I think that I, my writing shifted in that I wasn't writing books anymore. I wasn't writing fiction books anymore. And I primarily used to write a lot of YA and that's the book I published was a YA contemporary book or is a YA contemporary book. Um, And I wasn't working on a book for, and I still am not like for at least over a year, I've not been writing on working on a book, um, which is really different. And when I am writing, I think for a while I was just journaling, which I, again, I'm yeah. putting the, the just before it because in 
I'm still unlearning in my brain that it doesn't have to be publishable to be worth something. Um, yeah. And then I started writing a lot more like essays and nonfiction essays, kind of taking some of those journal writing and expanding on them and, and focusing more on the craft. And I've been in this uh, really great writing class slash group um, that's focused on a lot of people in it are like writing memoirs and writing nonfiction. So it's been, that's been a huge help for me, just like seeing other people go through that process of writing about their own lives. And uh, yeah. Was the shift from writing fiction to nonfiction, a substantial change in the way that you went about writing? Yes, definitely. I feel like the way I used to write um, fiction, and who knows, maybe I'll go back to it event at some point, but the way I used to, and I was also younger, so maybe I just had more energy, but I feel like I would sit down and I would pump out so many words, and I would also, um, you know, like write out about characters and have all these documents with all these pieces coming together. And what I've been doing more so lately is I will almost always start a piece in my journal um, because I've been writing more about like my own experiences. And so I will, I think also I'm just on a computer way too much like for my job. And so I just am like yeah. to get in that creative space now, I need to be using a pen and then I'll type it and I'll start kind of like taking more of a critical eye to it. And um, yeah. yeah, I've started mapping things out, which is something someone in my class suggested and not in like, I feel like I used to like draw out character maps and stuff when I was writing a lot more fiction, but someone in my writing class suggested making like an Excel document and to the, like look at all the themes in your in your pieces. Oh wow. Which feels very um I don't know what I forget if it's right brain or left brain, but it's you know, it's a lot more yeah. mathematical to be on Excel, but it's it's really helpful I think particularly when writing about like heavier stuff and trauma to be able to like zoom out of your piece and be like, okay, this is the theme I'm kind of working on here. Um, instead of getting lost yeah. in, lost in the, the waves of memories and emotions and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a big Excel fan. Right. Like if I can use an Excel spreadsheet to sort something out, I'm there. Um, I remember once getting in a fight with my dad about he wanted me to create like a, a calendar of events for a family holiday <laughs> we were taking um, on Excel. And I did it one way and he had it envisioned it in a completely different way. So he ended up mm -hmm. redoing it for me. But like, you know, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, I It's fascinating. You mentioned, you know, stepping away from a computer to start the writing process. Cause I didn't, I haven't realized it until right when you said it, that like, I actively do that myself with my writing nowadays mm. at the moment as well, because I start with an interview. Like that's the way journalism works. I, I step off and I, I start with an interview and that is a step away from the computer. It's either on the phone or in person. Um, and then you take that, you take what you've got from that interview and you put it in the paper um, and you've mm -hmm. got to write it up on, you know, a Word document or something. And then, you know, we put it into our system. But it's a whole, like, you, the whole first step is a step a, a step away from the computer. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't even realize that that step away from the computer kind of helps me regulate mm -hmm. 
you know, my writing in a, in a really healthy way. I didn't even, that's, that's such a fascinating a way to think about. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit blown away there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I didn't really even start doing that maybe until partway through the pandemic because I just was not able to write on my computer anymore. Like I was just did not yeah. feel creative. I was on Zoom meetings all day. Um, I am not in a position where writing is like my full-time thing. Like I, I have another job yeah. as well where I'm in meetings and everything. And so being able to step away and like write it in a journal is so much more helpful. And then when you come to it, when you're typing it up, you can come to it with a little bit more of a like uh, zoomed out lens. You're not like in it. You're not in the yeah. interviewer in the writing the piece. And I like, I like what you said about like the, the process of stepping away and interviewing that person. Cause that's kind of how I feel sometimes when I'm doing like nonfiction, I'm like almost interviewing myself um, which sounds kind of weird, but I feel like I'm like kind of diving into my subconscious and trying to like figure out what yeah. it is I'm trying to say. And then when I can write it, yeah, exactly. it feels a little less personal. I'm like out of that moment then. And I'm able to like focus more on how I'm writing it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it really helps you focus on different aspects of writing first, like, you know, and especially for nonfiction writing versus fiction writing, there are different foci that you need to worry mm -hmm. about between those. And, you know, obviously then, you know, the general things, continuity and bits and pieces of which are really, really important to, mm -hmm. you know, making a work understandable and readable. Like it's, it's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, I, as you kind of started to rebuild your relationship with writing, what were like some of the things you started to kind of notice or like learn about yourself and your writing? Yeah, I think I've learned that I, despite I've, I feel like I constantly am like any other writers. I'm like, you're a writer, no matter what you write. I do not believe that about myself. And I still am struggling with that. Um, I feel like I've definitely gotten a lot better, but there's definitely a huge mental block of like, I think I had built up publishing a novel in my brain as like, once I publish it, that makes me a writer. And I got my novel published and I still did not feel like a writer. And so it was kind of this big, like, now what do I do? Will I ever feel like I can write? What if I can't write something again? What if this was a one-time thing? And so it was a lot of realizing, like a lot of those blocks are in my mind and in you know the messages we get from the world of like well you're not like understanding of where that even came from like the idea that I'm not a writer until yeah. something's published is very capitalist again and it's very like yeah exactly output focused instead of like the actual process of writing yeah and also I have found over the last 18 months it also found made it really hard for me to get a job. Mm. So I graduated with my journalism degree at the end of last okay. year. But six months before I finished my degree, I had lost a uh, admin job that I had had, which was paying the bills for me. Um, mm -hmm. And the problem with that was that I needed a job. I needed, So I went on the job hunt and I probably put in... 50 to 70 job applications mm -hmm. over the span of six months, got 
two or three replies. Yep. And most of them were rejections. Um, and then, you know, some got, I got close to getting an offer and then they completely ghosted me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, um, every time and upon reflection, it was because I had been trained to not think of myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. I was a university student. I didn't have any mm-hmm. published written work. I had published radio work. I'd been working in radio for three years. Not that they'd take my radio work seriously either, which was a bit of a pest. Um, But, you know, and then so I found it very hard to, like, then convince a potential employer that they should hire me Mm -hmm. because, you know, I wasn't even convinced in myself that I had, you know, I was qualified to do the job that they were hiring for. Yeah. Exactly. Like we're, we're so told that it, it's only like whatever degrees or accolades or whatever we have that make us, make us a writer and writing in particular. And I think other like creative pursuits as well, like an artist um, in general, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of emphasis on having those things to be considered one. But then like, you know, you get the degree, you publish the book and you're still like, why do I still not feel like one? Um, Because it's not that easy to just unlearn all of that messaging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And moving, like, and trying to accept yourself as, like, a published writer is very hard. Like, I'm six months into this permanent job I have, Mm -hmm. and I have a stack of newspapers sitting right in front of me. Every one of the newspapers that I have contributed to in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And I still don't, like... I still don't even want to think of myself as a a proper writer, mm-hmm. even though, like, under capitalism, my work's published. Um, I have been relatively successful. Um, but, you know, it, that's not, you know, to me, that's somehow in my brain I've, I've, I've skipped it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, this is not real. This is fake. Yeah. And then I always think, like, you know, myself 10 years ago would be like, oh, I'm a writer. I did it. But you know, when you're actually yeah. in it, you're like, I'm still, I still don't know what I'm doing. I know I didn't do it, even though there's evidence that I did do it. No, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like me three years ago, thinking that I've moved halfway across the country, mm-hmm. have a job and living in an incredibly massive house on mm-hmm. very low rent by complete chance, um, with an incredibly supportive boss, uh, and am going on regular trips around the country mm-hmm. just, you know, on holidays because, uh, my work package includes like a really, really great, like leave package oh. as well. I'm like sitting here going, how is this real? Like me three years ago would have thought this is the greatest thing mm-hmm. ever. And yet at the same time, like the self doubt still creeps in. Yeah. It's like the, you're still like not, not good enough you're always thinking of the future for yourself and like what you what you're missing when like the things you have yeah. now might be the things five years ago that you wanted then oh. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so you know post the worst of the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah, the pandemic still exists everywhere, i know FYI. yeah um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what like what writing work have you gotten involved in? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
So after I published my book, I did not publish anything for a bit. And then I did, I joined this writing group that I'm a part of. That's like, um, I had taken a class with the facilitator in like 2019 and she has her own private class that she teaches and a spot opened up and she remembered me, which I was like, that's awesome. That make, that makes me feel special wow, that yeah. you remembered my work and uh, invited me to join. So it's like a small group. I think there's like 13 of us right now or something like that. Um, but we just meet once a week and like workshop people's work. And I honestly feel like that was like a godsend for my writing. And not to say I wasn't writing. So like after I published my book, I actually did write like a full manuscript. Like I'd always forget that I did that, yeah. but I wrote another YA novel that I just, when I got to the querying process, I just did not want to. I hardly queried like 10 people. And that's, you know, in the, like you were talking about with job applications in the uh, writing world, like yeah. you got to send out like hundreds of queries and you'll maybe get one. Yes. Like it's, it's brutal. And I feel like I was just like not in a place where I wanted a bunch of rejections. So I just shelved that one. And then I joined this group yeah. um, about a year ago. And then that has really like pushed me to work more on my personal, like nonfiction writing and, um, just like be in an environment with people who are also working on that, who like, it doesn't feel like anyone in the space is like constantly bragging about how many books they've published or like selling themselves. It feels like we're all just like genuinely bringing work to the table that we are proud of and that we want workshopped on to make better. And then of course, when people do get pieces published, we're all like very excited and uh, share it around. But that's really nice because I think a lot of um writing spaces especially like you know being online and seeing writer twitter writer instagram like it's yeah. all constantly just like because they're marketing themselves like i get it but it's constantly like yeah. i'm publishing another book i got another book deal signed and it's a lot it doesn't feel like actually supportive it feels very competitive um so yeah that's yeah. what i've been working on i've gotten a a couple essays published since then that are things that I worked on in that class. Um, so I'm kind of just working on like submitting to journals and such and um, kind of seeing where it goes from there. I know a lot of people who write nonfiction, like it usually starts with an essay and then maybe it'll turn into a book or another essay or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. Are there particular nonfiction topics that you like writing about? Yeah, I feel like what I've, I'm kind of like trying to sort out what, if I'm working on an overall memoir or arc or anything, or if I'm just writing random essays, not random, but I think I focus, I write a lot about grief. I experienced grief when I was really young and like a kind of adverse situation. Mm. And so I write a lot about that experience and just in general. And then I also write a lot about um, the body because I have some, I have like a physical disability um, and I write a lot about that related to like sexuality and uh, yeah, I got, got uterus problems. So I'm like writing about that a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's ends up like, honestly, um, what has gotten published more is I think just cause it's like a topic that not a lot of people write about and uh, some reason I'm willing to bear that to the world. So, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And I think that it's a way more universal experience than the patriarchy lets on mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had very frank conversations with female friends and housemates and bits and pieces about, you know, about that, those kind of topics. And you sit there and you go, wow, you know, I know way more people who struggle with, you know, uterus issues mm-hmm. and, and, you know, problems with, yeah, their reproductive system mm-hmm. than I know the people who are perfectly fine. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, I know, way more universal experience than I thought it, thought it was initially as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So many people. I got... Um, Way in, way back, it was before I published my book, it was in like 2019 or 2018, I got a piece published with Huffington Post, which was really cool, but it was all about, oh, that's I know, I was really excited, um, and it was all about like my experience with like pain and painful sex, and I got so many, de- like people out of the woodwork mm. found my face like it was a little bit like I was like I don't want you messaging me on my personal Facebook about your story like you can email yeah. me but so many people like it was such a universal experience and I think that's like I've found um in submitting any of my personal essays that's a topic that like a lot of a lot of publishers seem to be a little more hungry for um but we'll see yeah. have you have you found over the last like few years that you've changed the way that you pitch yourself to publishers? Oh, I don't know. Yes, but I always really struggle with, like, you know, the the author bio part. I'm always just, like, because it's always, like, you know, so-and-so lives here and writes about X, Y, Z, and I feel like it's always changing. I feel like I've always had similar topics I'd like to write about, even in when writing YA, like my, my book that I published is all primarily about grief and it's about like a young girl and the loss of her siblings and like what, um, how that impacts her. So I feel like I, I write about those topics. So like, I think how I pitch myself is similar, but I've definitely like stopped pitching myself as just like a YA writer and started just kind of saying writer in general. Yeah. Would you go back to writing fiction? Yes, I would. I would love to. I think I was like, um, I hadn't had any big ideas for writing a fiction novel. I mean, I my, the last manuscript I wrote was probably in uh, 2021 or, or early 2022. And so... Um, that was the last like full fiction manuscript I wrote. And since then, I just like did not have any really ideas, which like I was felt like I was really grieving the loss of ideas because I love when I'm like really in it. I'm really excited about characters. Yeah. Um, but I did like more recently, I was like on a run and I got an idea and I was like, I haven't done anything with it. I have not mapped it out or anything, but yeah. I was just like happy to like be able to think about fictional stories and characters again without my brain immediately jumping to like, is this publishable? Is this marketable? And just like enjoy thinking about characters while listening to music and just have fun with it. I'm, I'm hoping to bring that back into, into my regular writing practice. Once it, uh, once it strikes me, once it feels good to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like, like letting ideas come and go are like is a good idea as well. Like like letting go of an idea, going, I'm just not going to mm. worry about this idea. 
you know, I'm not going to try to act, you know, sometimes you do want to, but other times you're like, I don't feel the need to like immediately act upon this idea that has popped into my head right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where you then start to become really healthy in your writing. And it's where I realized that at least for me, my writing was really unhealthy until, Mm. you know, six months ago because I would be desperate for ideas yeah. for the newsroom I ran mm-hmm. and I would be constantly searching for something. And I was like, I need something for, you know, I ran a radio show. I was like, I need something for this week's show. Need, you know, I need a story. And then, you know, it would be making myself yeah. miserable, basically trying to act upon every bad idea I had. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, when I've got a team of five or six equally competent people I'm working with, that are like at the same level I am, I can go, well, I've just had an idea, but it's a bad <laughs> idea. So I don't need to act upon it. Mm-hmm. You can just talk it out. Which is, yep. It feels so freeing to not be, to go, I've had an idea and I do not feel the need to act upon it because yeah. I don't want to, or, you know, someone else can, or, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Of like being like, I like this idea. I like it in my brain, but I don't really want to do anything with it. Like, I don't feel like it'll go anywhere. I don't feel like I want to spend my energy on it. And so to just like, let that be, it's very hard. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's so fascinating because we often don't realize when it happens either. And then you sit and reflect on it and go, oh, like I had an idea three days ago. And I didn't act upon it. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Is this self-growth? Yeah. Like, And then maybe one day you come yeah. back to it and you're like, oh, yeah, I want to do this now. Like, it, it happens in time yeah. if it's meant to, if it's a, a, a piece or a story that's meant to be in the world or even just be on a piece of paper. It'll, it'll come out in its own way. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And it's, it's a weird feeling. It's a very weird feeling. I've definitely had ideas, like, while out on a run or something, and I've gone, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like I'm, not, I'm not acting upon that. And then I get to the office, like, three days later. I'm like, oh, why did I pitch it? Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes, you know, uh, it becomes, like, a really fun thing to talk about. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've really gotten into enjoying my writing now which has been that's good so much more interesting that's really good yeah. especially like with for you doing it as you're like as your your nine to five or your full-time job yeah. like to actually enjoy it that's gonna be hard <laughs> to find ways to keep it fun for you oh yeah exactly mm-hmm. and i think that's that's part of the joy of journalism mm-hmm. is that like it is a hundred percent um never the same every day yeah which is so much fun mm-hmm. um so i when you decide to work on you know when you've had an idea and you go i want to work on this project especially for a non-fiction project mm-hmm. do you still go through a bit of a mapping it out phase or is there a is there a different process you use to kind of get the ball rolling on a nonfiction work? Yes, it's different, but it's probably because I tend to, I've just been focusing on writing essays. And so I'm not, you know, mapping out a whole novel arc or chapters or anything. But what I find I do yeah. is I will often um, get, 
it's like it always starts with like a sentence or something that I'm like yes that's exact that sounds how I want it to sound in my head and like that feels like there's more there so I'll usually start with like a sentence or often like an object or a particular scene that I can like enter into into a memory through and then I'll kind of use that to to build the piece and so I will usually like write out little scenes in my journal and I'll like kind of get mm. right and bigger font like headers and stuff for like oh this is the the kitchen scene or something like that um whatever it is and then when I go to type it out is when I feel like I actually uh start moving things around and I'll have my journal out and like kind of cop, you know take paragraphs and think like maybe this goes better up here or something like that because um, I think when writing like nonfiction essays, it feels a lot more like not all fiction or chapter books or anything have to be linear, but often you're telling a story in a linear way. Whereas if you're giving an essay and like maybe focusing more on a theme, it's not necessarily linear and that you might like reveal yeah. things in, in a different timeline or you can kind of play with that timeline more, um, which is fun. And also just a different stretching stretching my mind in a different way yeah exactly um i don't know i feel intimidated by nonfiction essays mainly because i think i wrote so many in mm. high school i felt kind of burnt out how do you make sh how do you make it like not feel like you're sitting in high school trying to like <laughs> you know, write an essay on XYZ? I think it's because I'm not writing, like, it's definitely nowhere near, like, a report or a paper or anything like that. It, like, it's not on anything I would have ever written in school. Um, it's definitely, um, like, I'm writing these nonfiction essays, but they're, like, personal essays, and so um, I'm not, like, researching or anything for them. And it feels like it's much more close. It's a lot closer to my fiction writing than it is to any writing I ever did in school, which is really interesting. I'm not following any kind of like format that's like, you know, your thesis or anything like that. Um, it's yeah. a lot more artistic. I think the, the main difference is that instead of creating worlds or characters, I am diving into my own memories, which I feel like is not always easy to do. It's, it's a different kind of difficult, um, depending on like where you're at in your like own journey with whatever you're writing about. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, I don't, uh, I, I still struggle writing long form mm -hmm. as much as I've written quite a bit of long form essay kind of stuff mm -hmm. for at least the Deus Ex Media Network. Yeah. It's like, I do, I still struggle from time to time to go, oh, I want to write something that's, like, long form and non-fiction. Mm -hmm. Well, how do I make it sound like... And, and, and to me, it's a very hard mental jump. I think because I'm so young, like, I'm still... I've only left an education institution as of six months mm -hmm. ago. Like, I've been in education for almost 20 years. So, you know, you're sitting there and you go, you know, how do I not make this sound like I'm sitting in, you know high school English, you know, mm. trying to get, a, you know, an essay out, you know, in time for, you know, XYZ's due date. And it is. It's, it's a very hard mental block, I think, for some people to jump through as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 
looking towards the future, like, what are you hoping to do with your writing uh, as you move forward? I would love to publish another book, but I think I'm, I'm in a place where I don't want to force it. Like, I know, because I know, you know, my goal was always to publish a book, and then I did that, and then I was like, okay. And it was like, I worked with a publisher, it was... It was a smaller publisher, but like I, I achieved that goal of, of publishing a book with a publisher a more traditional way. And then afterwards mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now what? So I'm like hesitant to make my next goal to publish a book because I know if I do that, I'll still be like, now what? But I think I yeah. would like to continue um, like submitting to essay or to journals, submitting essays to journals and like just having my work in a variety of places is a really cool thing like I'm sure you have that with with journalism um just having yeah, things yeah. out there in the world is so cool um and so I want to continue that and my hope is that eventually these these stories these short essays that I'm telling will maybe form a narrative um I'd love to write fiction again and publish something or even just write it again for fun that's kind of where yeah. where I'm looking I feel like I'm always uh which I think is quite common for, for writers. I'm always feeling like I straddle different versions of myself and that there's the writer self. And then I also like have a job that I actually like, and I'm like hoping to go to grad school for something that's like not writing. Um, so I feel like I'm always trying to figure out the next thing and it all is like blending together and I'm trying to figure out how to be good with that and to be like I'm a person I have lots of different interests and I'm following the ones that are uh calling to me right now because yeah Yeah. it's a a fascinating conflict you know between different aspects of your life I find you know especially when they are fairly not fairly similar but you know maybe interact from time to time so you know I do a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's great and all. Um, but I also like am a journalist. Yeah. Like I, I can't forget that I am a journalist. Um, and a lot of journalism kind of a lot of journalism outlets, sorry, also have their own like dedicated podcasts yeah. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's a, it's a fascinating crossover where like, you know, two parts of my world kind of collide and I'm not still not quite sure. Like trying to explore how they, they interact has been an interesting kind of like process trying to figure out, you know, what what way I want them to to interact as yeah, well. Yeah, I feel that. And yeah, with the podcast too. And that, is, that did like just remind me of the fact that I remember creating the podcast. I was like, oh, I'm afraid this creative time, like this energy will take away from my writing. But honestly, like mm. it was the podcast has been so great and like was such a good creative outlet during times when I was not in a place where I wanted to write. And now that I am writing more, I'm still doing the podcast. And so it's like a good reminder that like you can make room in your life for like the different parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, exactly. And I think that like, we've got also got to under, we we can't underestimate the value of different uh, communication outlets. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, written communication is great, But so is, you know, verbal communication is just as important, if not more important, especially when you work in predominantly written communication. Yeah. 
That's so true. Yeah. And it's like the different communities that you form. Like I'm like, in my job, I work with college students. And so I really like, you know, the people person to person, uh, kind of mentoring. Um, and then the podcast, I like, it's, it's a lot of online communication, you know, other than the, the talking on the podcast, yeah. but I love the community that's formed, you know, Percy Jackson fans, like we're the best. And then writing exactly. is like a whole other way of like touching people and communicating with people. Um, so it's just all different ways we, we exist in the world and have to make it work somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it is a, it is a weird lifestyle we live as like podcasters mm-hmm. where we, you know, almost have like this double life yeah. where we are like constantly checking out messages mm. And, you know, organizing weeks or months in advance worth of recordings if we're feeling organized right. or, you know, scrambling to get, you know, the next week's episode out on time. Mm-hmm. And then spending, you know, a, a, an hour or two editing audio and then, you know, doing social media management. It's like we, it's a one man band <laughs> and you don't realize how much of the one man band you're playing until you look around and you look. I always look at like, for example, some of my, like some of the other like big podcasts Mm -hmm. here in Australia and I look at their teams and I'm like, you've got a dedicated social media person, Mm -hmm. a dedicated editor, a dedicated producer, and then your hosts. And I'm like, I'm doing all of this at once. Give me a pay raise, everyone. Yeah. And that's, but then I know, I know in my mind that if, I were to somehow make the podcast my full-time career and have all those people on my team, like it might not be as fun anymore. You know, like some of the fun is that I get to reply to people's messages and I get to see the silly, funny memes they send and everything like that. And I know if it got, it's like a uh, catch 22 where it's like, Ooh, I want to, I want to get more listeners and get bigger, but also I want to be able to like, just talk to people myself. I feel the same way with like writing where I'm like, I want to get a bigger publisher and a bigger and more out there. But I know that the, that would, that, you know, the impacts of even my experience with like a a smaller publisher, like it takes some of the creativity and uh, wind out from underneath me to like be out in the world. Sometimes it's scary. Yeah, exactly. And it's also a control thing as well. <laughs> like these podcasts are our creative expression and our projects. Like, especially if you've been doing it for upwards of, you know, three, four, five mm-hmm. years. It's like I spent years on this project day, you know, week after week, producing episode after episode, uh, you know, creating an, a fan base on consistent episodes and good content Mm-hmm. How can I give up, you know? And I think this is where, like, also, like, it comes back to writing as well. Like, giving up your writing to an editor or mm. to a, you know, a publisher and going, I trust that, you know, my work is going to be represented in a way that, you know, will fairly represent me. It's like, that's a really big leap to make. Yeah, which I definitely, like, have a lot of respect for people who go the self-publishing route because it's like they are keeping that control. And I know the self-publishing often, I feel like for a while was really looked down upon in the publishing world. And I think it's been changing more from what I've seen lately. But uh, 
like they get to keep that control. And if they do it well, you know, if they get like their, they edit their stuff well and they get a good cover design and everything like they can do, they can do just as well self-publishing and there's just a lot of stigma. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that like, I don't know. Self-publishing is a very interesting part of the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a, I don't know. You can, I, I feel like it, it sits on a nice edge. You can do so well mm-hmm. self-publishing mm-hmm. and you could really struggle as well at the same yeah. time. So, yep. um, and I, I, I don't think there are many other industries where if you go it alone, you take on such a large risk. Yeah. Like I think of like, podcasting, even- like it's like, you know, if you do it on, you produce it yourself, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Nobody listens. You still have fun, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You can, like, it's it's free to upload mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the audio recording software is free. You do not need a fancy yeah. mic. Like, yes, it's nice. And, you know, most people who consistently podcast or plan on consistently podcasting mm-hmm. own a, a mic that they've spent some money mm-hmm. on. But, you know, you don't need it. And I'm, I sit there and I, I look at, you know, look at other professions, the way you could probably go it alone. It's like, I don't think anyone takes quite as much of a risk no. as a self-publisher does. Yeah, yeah because it's and like... it's off to them to doing it. Right? Yeah, because it's like the, the financial aspect. Often they'll pay to have an editor, pay to have cover art. And then a lot of agents won't sign on people if they've self-published, which is really messed up. I Like, the whole industry, there's a ton of gatekeeping and uh, barriers to breaking into, like, very traditional publishing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a much bigger risk to do it on your, your own. And it's cool to see people succeed in that or even, you know, enjoy it and, and have fun with what they're doing get their work out there yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's so important to enjoy the work you're doing regardless of what you know path you take as well if you're not enjoying what you're doing i don't know what to say like you've you've got like how is it how is it worth doing something if you're not enjoying it Uh, unless it's you know there are some things that you've got to do that it's like taking medicine yeah yeah but you know (laughs) Long term, if you're not enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, especially if it's something you're, like, choosing to do in your free time or outside. It's not an obligation. It's like, you got to find a way to make it enjoyable because no one's forcing you to do it except yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a, um, it, it's a... It's a hard decision to make, especially if it's something you feel passionate about, like mm-hmm. choosing to walk away from you know, an aspect of your life that you've held on for so long. Mm, mm-hmm. um, uh, awesome. Well, thank you, Erin, so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute blast chatting with you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on here to just talk about all the writing things and existing in this world. I know. <laughs> and it's it's really easy to forget that, you know, writing is a part of our everyday um, life mm-hmm. like it, it is it's uh it's so important to to be on top of it all mm-hmm. um 
Uh, awesome. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I am. I am on Instagram. My own is Air Bear Monahan, which I can. I'm, I won't spell out for you. You can tag me in it. Um, and then um, my for our the podcast Camp Half Pod on Instagram and Twitter as well, mostly on Instagram. Um, I think we are currently doing Trials of Apollo right now. But if you're a Percy Jackson fan, we did all of all of the other two series that come before it. And so me and, and me and my co-host Monica, who's one of my best friends from middle school, um, are hosting it. And so that's a lot of fun. And that's a, uh, you can, I feel like I'm much more civilized in this conversation. You can hear my like most absurd takes that I've ever had on that podcast. <laughs> and also my book is Laurel Everywhere by Aaron Monahan. And that is wherever, wherever you buy books, really Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, okay. Quick question before I move on to a plug. Um, what was the, was probably one of your most crazy takes you've had on the podcast? Oh, that's a really, um, hmm. I think in like episode one, I called Chiron a zaddy, which I don't stand by that anymore. I've doubled back on my, <laughs> my opinion on Chiron, but, uh, I also, there's an ongoing bit on our podcast that I find the Minotaur attractive and his tidy whities And so I think that's just like a taste of like how weird <laughs> we are. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It does not sound, it sounds completely understandable. And, Thank you. Um, I'm not even surprised one little bit. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you can find me at sam.the.journalist on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, you can also find me at samobjournalist on Twitter. I'm not doing much there. I've just come back from holidays, so I don't know what you're talking about there. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for coming on the podcast once again. Uh, it's been an absolute blast having you on. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Content and Capable was recorded, edited, and produced by Samuel O'Brien. You can follow the podcast at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram, and you can find it on Facebook. You can also send an email through to contentandcapablepod at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, queries, or concerns. The best way to support the podcast is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher so more people can hear the podcast. The art was done by Opia, and the music was written, edited, and produced by Jason Hilton. Content and Capable is proud to be a part of the Deus Ex Media Network, where you can find a podcast for any of your nerdy interests. Do you love to be super scared? Do you enjoy listening to hilarious hot takes on timeless classics? Well, fear not, listeners. I'm here! Welcome to the Super Scary Podcast, where we cover everything from the supernatural to the superpowered. I'm your host, Josh, a scaredy cat nerd who enjoys superhero sci fi and horror movies way too much. Whether I'm processing my trauma from Texas Chainsaw Massacre or reminiscing on the nostalgia of Hocus Pocus, my guests and I have a hilarious time going through our favorite and sometimes not-so-favorite moments. I'm your friend till the end, listeners, because everyone's entitled to one super scary podcast. We post weekly episodes on Mondays, and you can find us at Super Scary Podcast on all the socials. 
See you in the afterlife, listeners. Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. Don't forget to rate and review, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Dave X Media.